Hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Whenever I hear that song, you're never gonna let me down, I wanna change the, the, one of the verses to say, you're never gonna give, never gonna give me all I want. <laughs> and then sing, you'll never let me down. Seems like there's a balance there. I, I just, when I sing that, it's like, wow, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways you can read that, and I don't want God to give me everything I want. So this morning, I had to rewrite my notes about three times because I didn't feel like I was getting, um, I just didn't feel like I had a, a, a real good picture of, where, of the scripture we're going to be in today. We're in Matthew 9. We're going to start with verse 36, and we're going to go through most of chapter 10. But my reason for that is that um, in, the, in the end, after I got my notes done, it's like I didn't have the big picture of what's going on in this passage. And I needed, I, I needed to understand that. And so I think what happens here is that Jesus, he doesn't come right out and do it, but he makes a definition of what a disciple is. Okay, that is what the disciple is. Now, what is a disciple? The disciple is a follower of Jesus, right? And the disciples were those who joined Jesus' band, watched his, watched his example, and then they learned from him and they, and, and, and they did what he taught them to do. And the other part of a, sorry, the other part of a disciple is that a disciple does what Jesus does. Now, I don't, if, I, if I ask you today, when you came in here, why, why did you come to church? Why did you come, and, why did you come uh, and, 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 and participate with us today? There's a bunch of answers you could give. One could be, you know, I just wanted to sing. I'm a singer. Or uh, I'm a believer. I believe. So I wanted to come and, and, and just let, get my faith built up. Or... There's other things that we could say too. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I come, because I'm a Christian, I come to church, right? And those are, all, those are all right things. But as Jesus talks about, in this, this chapter, uh, to be honest with you, I have been undone by this chapter. I am not worthy to stand up here today and even speak because of what's in that chapter and my inability to meet what Jesus says should happen. I just, I'll be honest. I remember years ago, we, we went to the, whoa, whoa, that's, <laughs> guess I better not touch that, huh? Um, we went to the Rose Bowl about the last time that Billy Graham was here. And I remember listening to Billy Graham and about the first thing he said was, he talked about how unworthy he was to be able to, to even be able to, to give the gospel. He had an understanding of his unworthiness. And you know, when I heard that, I thought, geez, man, if that's Billy Graham, what does it mean for me? It's not looking real good. And to be honest, too, I didn't really have a good understanding of the gospel like I've gotten in the last couple of years. You know, we, we as a church have kind of drilled in on the gospel to understand a little better what God has done in the gospel and what it means for us. Now, 
the reality is that of these things that we're gonna talk about today and the things that we're gonna read, we all completely fail. We do. I mean, we cannot live up to what it is that Jesus asks us to do here. And, you know, now for me, that's not failure, but that's grace. Because God gives us grace to be able to be obedient to what he asks us to do. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't keep track. You know, I, I was thinking this morning about, remember when Peter went to Jesus and he says, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive someone who sinned against me? What did Jesus says, say, right? He said, you have to forgive them 70 times seven, right? 490 times. Now, I'll confess to you that I thought, you know, I don't know, I really don't think anybody could Asked, could sin 490 times in one day and, ask for, and have to ask for forgiveness that many times. I think a little differently about that now because it is not condemnation when we realize that we haven't met the mark. It's not condemnation to say, Lord, I need your help. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've done in my life. 490 times of that kind of expression, forgiveness too, that kind of, kind of expression is a really important thing in our lives. And, and, and I just really believe that that's what God is leading us toward. In other words, again, not to feel when we don't meet the mark, not to feel condemned, but to understand that as we're obedient to what Christ calls us to do, then he gives us the ability to perform those things. The other thing is that you know what? Sometimes there are issues in our lives where there are so many layers, so many things that like, that are messed up that it may take 490 times 490 to get to the point where those things are worked out in a way that is godly, in a way that God wants to work it out, right? And he is abundantly patient. This is a tough scripture. And you know what? Again, we don't meet up to the requirements that are here. And we're going to have an, we're going to have an opportunity at several points to kind of repent, not kind of repent, to repent, to just say, Lord, I, I, I don't meet up to this. I, I don't do this the way you want me to. But I want to, and I want for you to help me. That's, that's, if you take anything out of this today, it is that, that God is working with you, working with me, working with us, so that where we don't see our obedience being obedience, but we see it not being obedience, we see it being willfulness on our own part, that actually God is helping us and bringing us to a place where even however, he doesn't, he doesn't really care how many layers he has to go through. He, if, if we say, if we're able to say to him, Lord, please forgive me, I need your help, I just, I can't do this, he is there for us, right? Do you, understand, do you, do you, do you have a sense of that? I tell you what, if you don't have a sense of that, then the gospel the gospel needs to penetrate even more 
what's going on in your lives. I mean, listen, I had to, I had to, do, two set, I had to do three sets of notes to get to the point where I understood what God was saying. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying that any of us are going to be fast. I'm just saying that, 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 you know, that this, is, this is the commitment that God has made to us so that we can do the things that he calls us to do. So let's go to verse, I was gonna, I have an introduction to everything, but I'm gonna go to verse 35 and start there. And do you see that, is it up there? Good, yep. Uh, it says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and, synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. If, I, I would title this, and actually, we have a sheet that we get on, 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 on preaching, and, and Kelly had written the, the synopsis of kind of this, of this sermon, and he had named it the gospel of the kingdom. And so that's what Jesus says. He came, he came, he came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now, what does that mean? We have the word gospel, and we have the word kingdom. Are they the same thing? What is that? Well, what we know is that the gospel is the good news of what God is doing in Jesus, right? That is good news. And the kingdom is the place and the realm where the rule and reign of God is happening. Now, when Jesus said this, he had not died, he'd not been resurrected, and yet he's still preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And what he's saying is that the kingdom is, has come, that there is a new reality in him that God has become a man, God is incarnated as a man. He's gonna live on the earth, example for us what humanity is. He will die, as he told his disciples and they didn't wanna hear it, he will die he will rise from the dead, he'll go and be seated at the right hand of the Father, and that will bring us life and relationship with God. That is what Jesus was proclaiming. He was saying, people, God is drawing near to you, will you respond to him? That was his message. Now again, he was, Jesus, even when he preached this here, he was the embodiment of that. He was the embodiment of, he wasn't there yet when he's, when, he's, when he's teaching this. He hadn't gone to the cross. He was still with his disciples. He still led his disciples. But he was the example of what it meant to draw near to God. And he was the way, he was preaching himself as the way that people could do that. And we see, and we see in the scriptures, we see that people had faith to do that, and they did it. They followed him. So when we say the gospel of the kingdom, then what Jesus preaches is the kingdom is here now, that, that, that in a real sense, the realities of eternity have broken into the now, right? 
What does that mean? Well, it means what he says in the next, in the next little phrase. He says, when he saw, or let's see, where am I? Yeah, 36. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Above that, where it says the gospel of the kingdom, we know that the gospel, that the, that the kingdom, the power of the kingdom, eternity is broken into now because what it says after the gospel of the kingdom, because he was healing every disease and every affliction. That was the sign that God was breaking in, that God was doing something new. That, that when we pray for someone, that when he prayed for someone, healing came, they were touched, and they had not seen that before. And yet that was the power of the kingdom present in, in Jesus and in his ministry. So that is the gospel of the kingdom. It's the proclamation, but it's also doing the works that God gives us to do so that we can, so that we can promote his kingdom, so that we can help him, we can be with him as he brings it about. Okay, now, then I, so what I just read, when he saw the crowds, he, heard, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. Anybody remember, I mean, you gotta be old if you remember this, but ever, anybody remember Here's Life? Here's Life, it was an evangelistic kind of tool that was also called I Found It. Do you remember that? Tom, you, okay. I think, I think you're trying to throw me off, Tom. What it was in the 70s, I, that's what I say, it goes a long ways back. It was, a, it was a campaign basically for evangelism. It was a way of reaching out to people and letting them know about Christ. And, and I, to be honest with me, it's when, I, when, I, when I first became a Christian, that's what that's kind of how I learned to evangelize. That's how I learned to go and share with people the gospel. But it's interesting to me that when, that, that Jesus here says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Now, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but this time in our country is really not a time for a lot of compassion, right? This weekend, in fact, is probably the time of the year, maybe Christmas is, maybe Christmas is too, but, but as far as compassion for people, this Thanksgiving weekend is probably the highlight of the year, wouldn't you say? But, you know, I was in, I was in, uh, um, I wasn't actually, I said, I, I wasn't there uh, on Friday, on Black Friday, but I went to Costco yesterday and I was getting stuff and you know what I didn't see much of? I didn't see much compassion. And, and I didn't see, and, and, and on Friday, I heard of you know, people that were shopping and they got ran, run over by other people who were shopping and all of that. And so I just think it's so important here that Jesus starts out with a compassion that he is exampling for his disciples what it means to be able to present the kingdom of God to someone. And that is that first of all, you have a compassion for them. 
Now, what does it mean to have compassion? Well, think about, think about the times, I mean, just think about what's in the New Testament. What about the, the woman that was being stoned and they brought her before Jesus? And what did they say? They said, you know, pronounce judgment on her. But what he did was an example of giving her compassion. What about the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler comes to him and says, look, I've done everything from the beginning uh, to follow you, to, uh, everything that I should have done. And he says, here, do this, sell everything you have and go and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And he goes, whoa, that was a picture of compassion because it also says that Jesus loved him. So I just, I just wanna, you know, for, for all of the years that we've been doing evangelistic outreaches and that kind of thing, I mean, I tell you what, I've been to Kiev in the Ukraine, I've been to, to, to South America, I've been to different places where we did dramas and we did all kinds of things that were good things. We saw people become Christians. But what I haven't heard or what, what, what hasn't been a part of what I was supposed to do or what, of what God was saying for us to do was that we really had to have a compassion for the people we were going to before we could really minister to them. Now, what is that compassion? Compassion is, it's, it's, not, it's not feeling sorry for somebody, but you know what it is? It's, it is understanding somebody's plight. And probably because you've been there and you're not there now, but you understand where they are and you understand the problems that it's causing in their lives. That is an expression of compassion. That is what Jesus had for the people that he saw that were helpless, that, what does he say, that were harassed and helpless. Is Haley in here? Haley? Okay, good. You didn't dog me. I appreciate it that you're here. On Tuesday, we were getting ready for a big dinner that we had at Southlands on Tuesday night. And um, this lady, this woman came in. She was well-dressed, but she was kind of beside herself. She was a mom who had three teenage kids. She was supposed to be, supposed to have a, uh, she, had, she had worked for Disneyland for years, but she had quit, and then her husband cheated on her and left her. And so she was, she, she was without any, any income. She had, she had just a number of different problems. And as we listened to her, she was harassed and helpless. She was a lady, she was a lady who, you know, now, listen, I, my, my uh, you know, my compassion wasn't very great then because it's my job, right? I mean, I'm a pastor, somebody comes in, and I have to look at, you know, are they trying to get over on us in some way, or is this a legitimate is this a legitimate thing? And she was a mom who was harassed and helpless. She tried to do everything right. She didn't have a car. She went to Nordstrom for an interview, but it was at Nordstrom Rack, which was about a mile away. And so everything had just fallen apart around her. And she came to the church and she just said, this is my situation. It was not hard to be compassionate to her. 
when we heard her story. Haley took her down, and we bought about, we bought about $100 worth of groceries and that kind of thing for her because she, she had that need. Now, the thing about compassion, though, is, and, and, and my part in it, is that, that oftentimes I'm compassionate in my job, but when I get home, I'm really not very compassionate. We have people come over, not, not Dylan, not Dylan, Dylan, I, wanted to, I just wanted to clarify that. We have people come over sometimes, and you know, in other words, I've had a long day, and you know, I just want some quiet time, and not you guys, you know, not you guys. And, <laughs> but it's hard, it's hard because I kind of want my own way. And, you know, what, I'm, what, I, what I see in Jesus here is that as an example, he is compassionate at a time when it's even un- inconvenient for him. He's teaching, but he's compassionate at a time when it's inconvenient. Does, does the lack of compassion, does that resonate with you? I tell you what, I just even, you know, I, I, I want to repent right now. Of my, of my lack of compassion for people. You know, I, I just, I would, I would invite you, if that's something, if that's something that's true of you, that you just say, hey, you know, when I know that God's put me in a situation where I can help somebody, you know, maybe it's, it's a long, does this one get you? The guys that are sitting alongside the road at the exit, you know, and, and there are things, I, I, I even have had God say to me, why don't you just make up some little bags that you can just hand them, that at least, at least you're doing something for them. At least there's some kind of sign of compassion. And I haven't done it yet. So, and that's, again, why I, why I say that I am not worthy to really even be talking about, to, to be doing this sermon. But if you want to stand with me while I pray and ask and repent and ask for, for forgiveness because you have not been compassionate, please join me right now. Father, we come before you and we thank you that you, Lord Jesus, you are a compassionate God, that you love us. And Lord, you've been so patient with us. We just ask you for, to forgive us right now and we come before you and repent. Lord, I'll be just honest and say, there may be many layers of repentance I have to go through to get this right. But Lord, I know you love me. I know you have invested in me. And I know that Lord, if if I just continue to come to you, you will work it out in my life. And I thank you that that's true. And Lord, I just set my heart and we set our hearts to be compassionate, and we ask that you teach us what that means for where we are. Because in some ways, that's gonna be different for all of us. But Lord, you are faithful, and you are good, and I thank you that your mercy endures forever. Amen. And have a seat. So then, what happens next is, that Jesus sends the disciples to do what he's been doing. It says that, and he called to them, 
to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits and cast them out and to heal every disease. Okay, this is what, sorry, let me start this over. He called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So now what we've seen up to this point is Jesus' authority to do the healing, right? Now, back in chapter four, Jesus called four disciples. But by this time, he's, he, has, he has 12 disciples with him. And so what he's doing is he's giving his authority to these disciples. Now, this reading is not just for those disciples. This reading is for us too. It's the authority that he's given us in the same way that he gave, him, gave it to them. That is, that is, what does it mean to be a disciple? It means to do these things. It means to trust God and, and even go out on the limb in a way that sometimes, I said last week, I said last week when we prayed, that I'm, I'm in situations where, where I say, Lord, if you don't show up, I'm going down. And it's to put ourselves in those kinds of situations that, that, that where we are exerting faith. So that's what he's asking them to do. He says, to authority over unclean spirits, cast them out to heal every disease and every affliction. The name of the 12 apostles were these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, Judas Iscariot, Iscariot, who betrayed him. You know, if you look at the makeup of those disciples, it's interesting. They have, for one example, they have a tax collector and they have a zealot. These guys, before being with Jesus, would want to, would want it to have killed each other. You know, they, they, they are not the kind of people that you put together. It's such an interesting thing that when we look at the makeup of who we are, probably most of us would not choose the other people here to be a part of their friendship circle. Uh, maybe that's a little bit negative, and I don't mean that to be so, but... The point for us is that we worship Christ first and everybody that he brings along with us, those are people that are our compadres. Those are, those are our comrades. Those are those who he has called to be with us. And the interesting thing about that is, is that he's calling these guys, he's gonna send them out with authority, but the relationships they have are integral for their discipleship and for them to become what he wants them to be. That's exactly the same thing here. Exactly the same thing. As we are in life groups together, as we pass out turkeys like we did last week, as we do, as we, you know, do all of the things that God's called us to do, he puts us in situations where that, that, that aren't necessarily comfortable but he puts us in a place where we get to change. And even in the, sometimes it is comfortable. Sometimes, look, it, it's, it's wonderful to have, uh, we, we, had, we had Jaime and Lucy and a big part of their family at our house for Thanksgiving. And one of the, 
uh, one of the sons named Sonny, he sang all kinds of songs. We had such a wonderful time at our house because he sang worship songs, he sang eagle songs, I sang Hotel California. Yeah, it wasn't good. I can't say it was good. It was interesting too. I mean, you know, you hear it on the radio and then you see the words and you go, whoa, I never saw that. That happened a lot. So these people, these disciples are ordinary people. They're not people that had special degrees. They're not people who were scribes and Pharisees. They were ordinary people that had been with Jesus, that heard what Jesus had to say, that were willing to be sent out by him and willing to trust him that what he said was true and what he said he would do through them would happen. That's, what, that, that's, that's who they were. So it's important for us to look at the people that God has put us with. Now, I, I think of that in, in, uh, from the point of view of us at church, but I also think of it from the point of view of being at work. Has God put you in a situation where at your work it's really frustrating and that you would really like to get out of it? Have you asked him if there's something that he's trying to teach you in the midst of that that you can learn and you can either, you can either be overcoming in it or he will teach you something before he takes you and puts you in another place? And I would just encourage you to be, you know, in other words, again, these are the things, these are, these are with the disciples, they're going into a situation where they're not ready for it. And in their, in their unreadiness, it is them being together and them doing what Jesus said that is their safety. Because now he's gonna talk to them about what they're supposed to do. And actually, as we look at, as we look at uh, chapter 10, verse five, he, uh, he sends them off with instructions and he sends us off for instruct with instructions too. And what follows is a manual for mission, okay? Now, this, they're going out and they're going to new villages and new places. And this is that. This is kind of a manual for when you go on mission, what do you do? But it's also for personal mission. It's also for when you have a friend that you believe that God wants you to wit to share with, that in that time, these things, these things that he says here are helpful as instruction to follow and, and, and to do what God tells us, okay? He tells them still to go with compassion and as servants, but it's interesting here how he strikes a balance in the things he tells them to do. I mean, he says, do this, don't do this at some point, at some points. So listen to this as I read it, and we'll talk a little bit more about it. Let's see, how, what am I doing on time? I can't even get to it. How come it, oh, there it is. Oh, I turned it off. I, well, I turned it off at 39 minutes, so I still have 39 minutes, I guess. No. Thank you, yeah, exactly. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them 
go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So Jesus says, go only to the Jews, and, that's, and what he's doing there is he's just being specific and narrow. But in other words, there's a narrow, when, when we go on, on, on mission or when we're ministering to our friends, a lot of the time it's just a very narrow thing that he asks us to do, to be specific. But now in verse 18, you will see that he's talking about going to Gentiles and going to other people. So there's a time where it's important to just focus in, and then there's going to be other times where he says to go to all of these people. But it's a living, it's, it's a relational thing. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, tells us as we go what it is we're to do and how we're to do it. We can trust him to do that. It says, do what you've seen. Heal, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Now, let me, let me see the hands of anybody in here that have done any of those. Yes, I, would, I believe my wife. Okay, good. That's okay, that's one. I'll bet that's heal, right? Okay, what about raise the dead? Don't see many hands on that one. Uh, cleanse lepers. Don't see many hands on that one either. Do we have any for cast out demons? I bet I will get some. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's true. Now, again, the power to do these things does not reside in us. The power resides in the Spirit's leading and us being obedient in the situation that he calls us to. That's, that's where the power is. Are we willing, are, are we willing to, and I tell you what, as the times ratchet up, it won't surprise me if in 50 years, which I won't be here, but if when you get to heaven, if you remember this sermon, and, and you remember that I said that within the next 50 years, there may be some of you in here that find yourself doing some of those things besides just healing. And I say that with just because, again, the kingdom of God is coming on the earth and the power of the kingdom is being poured out to show that God is real and that God is serious about what he says and what he's doing. There's, there, and here's this balance. It says, preach, he says, preach the truth unapologetically. We don't change the truth to make the hearers happy. We preach what the truth is, but we heal. At the same time that we do that, we heal people with compassion. 
There's churches that love to preach truth, but then they don't really care about the people that are a part of, of, of who they are, that are, that are poor. There's churches that are social service agencies, but don't preach the gospel. And what we are, are people that preach the gospel, but have compassion on those who need that compassion. It says, don't stock up your own resources, but expect, accept people, the people that are receiving to contribute. That's an interesting thing. You know, in other words, what God's saying there is for, for people that go, it's like, you know, trust that God will make provision for you. And yet at the same time, the people that you're going to help should be part of that provision too. That's, 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 they, should, they, should, they should help you because you are bringing to them the good news. That's part of that balance. Don't stock up on your resources. Yeah, yeah, I just said that. Strategy in ministry is good. So it's, it's, it, the idea is that find a worthy person of understanding in that area and stay there. In other words, somebody that can help you do the things that you're called to do. Somebody that can help you bring about the, the, the compassion and the mercy of Jesus. Then it says, shake off the dust when you encounter someone who are like Job's helpers. What were Job's helpers, the whole point of view that they had was, we're better than you and we can tell you why you're wrong, right? And so what Jesus is saying is, when you go into those villages and people like act like that, then you shake off the dust of your feet and go to another place because those people are not ready to receive that which God's working through you. It says, it'll be more bearable uh, in Sodom, it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for, for those villages that are like that. Um, and why? Because, because Sodom and Gomorrah never had a chance for anybody to come and preach. But see, when we go to preach, when we hear the word, all of the times that we've all heard the word, guess what happens? We are responsible right? The people that hear the word are responsible. The grace of God has come to us, and we're responsible not only to hear, but to do. We're responsible to call people to do. I, do, do you, did your parents, as you were growing up, did they have little sayings that, you know, that you, it's like, they always said this little saying when, you, when it kind of drove you crazy. It's like, what are you talking about? So my dad would say to me, your word is your, hey, good, yeah, that's exactly. You know, I didn't know that meant, what that meant until I was about 28. He, never, he didn't tell me what it meant. He just said, my son, your word is your bond. Okay, I think that means that I'm supposed to tell the truth or I'm supposed to come through on what, what I said I'd do. So for us, the one that I drilled in all the time is responsibility Responsibility brings freedom. I actually did tell Michaela I was gonna do that, so. I, I didn't wanna be embarrassed if she forgot. I don't think she would've forgotten. But you know what, you know what I didn't say is that freedom brings responsibility. 
You know what? God has given us all kinds of freedom. He's ministered to us. He's given us all kinds of blessing. And that blessing and that working in our lives is so important for us to take the responsibility to give to other people who haven't had that. That is what God calls us to do. There's a, uh, there's a lady who wrote a book called Arlie Hookshield that talks about, because she's a sociologist, and she talked, about, uh, she talked about communities and the fact that in communities in the United States now, one of the things that's happening is that communities' ability to help people across a wide, you know, a wide spectrum has, is getting thinner and thinner because people are more and more mobile. She wrote a book called The Outsourced Self. And basically what she talks about, that the communities are thin and mobile, that people pay professionals to find a mate, to raise kids. And you know what? When they come to church, they want to be inspired, but they don't want to do the work of the ministry. We cannot do that. God has called, again, God has called all of us to be those who do the ministry that Jesus has given us to do. That whole thing of of like, I'll pay you, but I don't want to take part in it. that, That is not what Jesus wants. That's not what Jesus is asking us to do. God calls all in the church to be disciples and participate in his ministry. Ephesians 2.10. Anybody know that right off the top of your head? Good job. Say it again. Exactly. We We are created in Christ for good works. What that means is that your race, your gender, your experience is exactly what God wants to use for people that he sends you to. And we can't back away from all of that that God's given us. Freedom brings responsibility. God blessed Abraham so that he would be a blessing to all peoples of the earth, right? God blessed him and he said, go. What did he, why did he want him to go? Because he wanted him to be that blessing to other people. Now, here's the not too much fun part of it. And this is a chapter of verse 16. And this is dealing with the offense that Jesus brings. Kelly, what, do you know what time, how far along I am? Two minutes? Híjole. Okay. <laughs> Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves to be wise as servants and innocent, hear the balance, wise as servants, serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness for them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour." For, that, for, it is not for it is not you who speak, the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child 
Children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Really happy, isn't it? That's a really... When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The reality is this has not been true for most of the people of history, right? In other words, most of the people who are Christians through the years haven't faced this, but there are times where it happens. Are we moving toward one of those times? I don't know. But what I do know is that right now, there are more people that are martyred than any other time in history. Each year, there's more people martyred. So while this may, this may or may not be true for all of us, we've got to be prepared that it costs us. Now, why is it that it costs us? Why is Jesus offensive? He's, he's offensive because he's exclusive and his claims are enormous. He's gonna, he says, he's, I'm going to judge the whole world. And people do not want to hear that. And you know what? We have to take the heat for that truth. We have to be willing to take the, tr- the heat for the truth of who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world. Scripture says to be wise when it happens, to be wise and innocent. Don't lie, but be shrewd. Don't add to the problem by being a, having a proud personality or being an obnoxious person, right? All will hate you, but don't make it worse by seeking or inviting it. If you have an opportunity to escape, escape then do so. The only way to be consistent as a Christian is to be extreme, like he's saying, radical, like he's saying, or run away. Let's be extreme. If you're afraid to stand, God makes a promise to you, you are not alone. That when you stand in front of people and when people are coming against you and you're feeling that heat, the promise is, God says that I will be with you and I will tell you what to say. Finally, by what power can we do this all above? Verse 24, it says, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. They call the master of the house Beelzebul. How much more will they malign those of his household? The reason why we can do this, and we may fail many, many times, but the reason why this is true is because Jesus has done it before us perfectly. And he did it for us so that when we stand in that place, he is watching us, he has our back, he has our front, he has us. The worst thing that they can do, and I'm not being trite here, but the worst thing that they can do, the people can do is take our lives. But what that means is we transition from this life into the next. He was deserted and all alone so that we would not have to be. He faced it ahead of us, and he faces it with us today. Let's pray. Lord, we sure need your help. Uh, We need your help from a bunch of different points of view. Thank you, Lord, that, that your compassion has flowed to us, and through your spirit, that compassion can flow through us to other people.
Lord, there's those of us that have fear. Do I really have to do this to be a disciple? Do these things, do I really have to, do I, do I have to follow you and do the things that you did? Lord, I pray that this morning you would give just a real sense of your care and your invitation to learn of you because, Lord, you are, you are your, your ways are, are um, your ways are helpful. Your ways will bring us through to the place you want us to be. My burden is easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That's your promise. Let us trust you in that. And finally, Lord, I'm scared of pushback. Help me stand for you remembering how you stood for me. Those things are true, and I'm going to close the prayer. Just If you'd like to stand and just acknowledge to God that that's true, please do that now. Father, we thank you that you are faithful in all your ways. We thank you that you make us able to do these things that you call us to do. Lord, when we fail, make it easy for us to say, Lord, I failed, but help me the next time. Lead me on. Lead me on in what you've given me to do. Thank you, Lord, that we look forward to being with you for eternity. Lord, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Thank you, Lord, that you are building your kingdom, and it is an eternal kingdom. Help us to do all that you call us to do in it this day. Amen.